0: An amazing passage, and uh, that last song that we sang. Uh, actually, is it too much trouble? I don't. I, this might just throw Seth for a total loop. Seth, could you pull up the, the third verse of that that last song we sang, "The Love of God"? It's like one of my favorites. Um, just the imagery here in this song. Could we, if it was possible, to fill the entire ocean with ink, right? And If every stock in the world, right, or sorry, the sky was the parchment to write on. And then every stock in the world was actually a quill used to write and dip in the ink and write on the sky. And every person in the world was a scribe by trade. So they they write, that's what they do. If that were the case, oceans, ink, sky is parchment, stocks, every stock is a quill, and every person in the world, all seven billion of us, it we're scribes. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. What a picture. In other words, it's impossible, right, to, to describe God's love. God loves us so, so very much. Thank you. Thank you, Seth. What, a, what an incredible, incredible truth. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's begin our time together and pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing truth that you love us that much. What? The truth of the matter is, for me, God, I, I need sometimes a song like that to remind me. Sometimes I need to be reminded by somebody else. Sometimes I, I need to be reminded in your word because I am so selfish and I, I get so focused on myself that I lose sight of just how amazing your love is. And consequently, I, I stop being loving and I don't represent you well in this world, showing your love to others, and I'm so thankful this morning for this passage that we're going to look at. Oh, man, it's all about love, and uh, God, we just pray that for every one of the souls that are represented here in this room or perhaps you know watching online, God, we pray for each of those souls to really be able to truly embrace just how much you love them and to truly embrace uh, Their call, my call, our call to to love others the way that you have loved us. Speak to us now through your word. Change us, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, I just love this passage. Um, I felt like the last couple of weeks, I was like, man, I can't wait to get to this passage Um, because the last couple of weeks have felt a little bit heavy for me, you know, talking about don't be like Cain, and, you know, it was just happy. Last week, we were talking about false teachers and the spirit of the Antichrist, and I was like, man, I cannot wait to get to the latter half of chapter four. We can talk about the love of God. Well, for those of you who have spent, you know, any time, you know, with me, particularly if we have had a meal together, if we have shared meals together, you know that I love spicy food. I I love it. Uh, It's instinctive, in fact, I feel bad we're having company over today for lunch and without thinking, the only salsa I had was medium. And so, but it was required for the recipe so I really hope that they don't mind a little bit of spice. If not, we'll do a McDonald's run. Um, (laughs) But I love spicy food, right? I, I love Mexican food, I love Thai food. I put hot sauce on just about everything. You can't eat eggs without hot sauce, right? You can't eat pizza without hot sauce. You gotta put hot sauce on top of your buffalo wings, right? Because they're not hot enough, right? So I love uh, spicy food. But that's not the only thing that I love. There actually are a couple other things that I love. Uh, I also love coffee. I I do love coffee. Maybe that's why I love Mexico so much. They got great coffee and they have great spicy food. But I also love cats. Any other cat lovers here? All right, there's a few of us, good. All the dog lovers are like looking at us with contempt right now. I love cats. I also love the Boston Celtics. Um, Woo-hoo, go Celtics this afternoon. Yes, close this series out, please. Um, I love the Celtics, I love basketball, I love hiking. I love the ocean, I love being at the lake, I love my friends, I love my family, I love my kids, I love my wife, I love God, I love his church, both the global church, but I also love my local church, my church family. I love a lot of things, you know? And you do too, right? But here's the question, do I love all of those things in the same way Hopefully not, right? When I say I love my wife and I love coffee, hopefully I mean something different when I say that, right? (laughs) Notice I didn't say spicy food, (laughs) you know, because uh, it might be close. No, I'm just kidding. When I say that I love God and I love, you know, my friends hopefully I, I mean something a little different. Hopefully when I say I love spicy food and I love God's church, I, I mean something different. See, the challenge that we have with our English language is that we have really one word, love, right? Which has different meanings depending on you know, what or who we're talking about. But in the Greek language, the language that the Bible was written in or the New Testament was written in, they have at least, at least four different words with different meanings that are all in English translated as love, all right? And uh, actually, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. Uh, If you've never read it, that'd be a great one to add to your list to read. And in that book, he explores these, these four loves more deeply. But, you know, just let me, I'm gonna go ahead and just quickly summarize them for you. So the first type of love that he covers in that book is called storge. And that's the word that he would use for, uh, or that the Greeks would use for like affection. This type of love could be used to describe the natural affections that we feel about something or, or someone. It's, it's, it's a natural affection. I, I love hiking, I love sunsets, I, I love good food, I love my kids. And you don't really have to force that, right? You love your kids, you love your family. I love spending time with my friends. This is storge. It's an an affection. The second one is phileo. And this love is described as like a friendship love. It's where we get the name uh, in English, Philadelphia, for the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? It's a love that exists between people that are brought together for a common goal or a common mission or a common interest. It's like side by side. We're Phileo, we're, we're doing this together, we're friends, we, we love each other. The third type of love that Lewis covers in that book is eros, or eros. This is a romantic love between two people. C.S. Lewis describes it as being in love. And this type of love carries strong, strong emotions and feelings. But the fourth type of love, agape, this type of love is the highest of all the love. Sometimes it's referred to as divine love. It is a deep, pure, unselfish, unconditional type of love. It's self-sacrificial, and it is extended not just to those that we like or those who we think deserve it, but it is even extended towards our enemies, according to Jesus. And as we've been making our way through this letter, John has made it clear that believers are supposed to love one another. And it would be great if what he meant by that was Storge. <laughs> We should have, you know, just some sort of natural affections for each other. Or phileo, we're brotherly love, we're buds, and we're we're on mission together. But no, the word that John uses consistently throughout this letter is agape. John is saying that believers are to have agape love for one another. In chapter 2, verse 10, John said, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. In chapter three, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, John told the believers to follow the example of Jesus and how they should love one another. Well, that's a tall ask, right? Right, because Jesus loved us enough that he, he died. Chapter three, verse 16, John says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Christians are called to love one another like Jesus. We're called to a self-sacrificial living, putting others above ourselves. Now, I've mentioned it you know, several times as we've been making uh, you know, our way through this letter, but the purpose of this letter, the purpose of this letter, you may remember, is to give believers assurance right, of their salvation. John wants the believers to be confident in their relationship with God. And so at the end of chapter three, John said in verse 23, this is his commandment, God's commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Belief in Jesus and loving one another, this is God's commandment. And John says that if we believe in Jesus and we love one another, then we know that God's Spirit abides in us. We know that we are saved. That's where we get our assurance from. So, in chapter four, in chapter four, John has been foc- or began to focus in on these two things. So, last week in verses one through six, John focused on belief in Jesus. That we have the right beliefs about Jesus. There's false teachers out there who are going to teach you something that's not true about Jesus, and John wants to make sure that you don't get deceived. So that was chapter four, verses one through six. Today, in verses seven through twenty one, John is gonna focus on loving one another, love for one another. Now, I've already said it, but this you you heard it when when it was being read earlier. But this chapter, you cut it anywhere, and it just bleeds love, right? In fact, these 15 verses, these 15 verses, uh, did I already tell you this? That the word love and, or, or root um, or, or variation of it, love, loves, loved, beloved, all with the same root word agape, in, in 15 verses, that word appears, get this, 29 times. Isn't that crazy? That's good. Like when I write a message, I read through it, And I'm like, oh, I said the same word twice in the same paragraph. I got to come up with a different synonym. I got to do something different. John is not concerned that you think he's being repetitive here. It's love, 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 right? And that wasn't even 29, right? So 29 times in 15 verses, John talks about love. So let's go ahead and let's just jump in, uh, beginning in verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. He says, beloved, beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So once again, John addresses these believers with the heart of a spiritual father, right? Beloved, beloved, the ones that I love. And he picks off right where he left off in chapter three, and he says, let us love one another. Let's have agape, love for each other. The the type of love that Jesus modeled for us when he laid down his life for us. And then he says, why? He says, because because love is from God. Love is from God. The first truth that John is gonna teach us about love in this passage is that love is from God. This self-sacrificial type of love is not natural. It's not a type of love that you and I can just muster up on our own. It's it's supernatural. It's a type of love that puts others first, the type of love that goes the distance for others, expecting nothing in return. It's a type of love that keeps loving someone, right, when they don't appreciate you, right? Or when they expect it from you. Or maybe even they treat you poorly, it's the type of love that says, I'm gonna keep loving them. That's just not natural, is it? It's the type of love that actually isn't just extended to our friends you know, and our family, but it's extended to our enemies, according to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." By the way, he says, you've heard that this is what's taught. So literally people were teaching that you love your neighbor, you hate your enemy. <laughs> people teach that. I don't really hear that a lot anymore, but I definitely see it, right? It may not be like, we don't have like somebody going on, you know, the, the, the whatever talk show on TV and saying, here's the message, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I don't say that, but that's how people live, right? But Jesus says in verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow, that's radical, isn't it? This is a type of love that can only come from God. And it's a type of love that led Jesus to die on a cross. John says here in verse seven, that whoever loves like that has been born of God and knows God. How else could they love like that, right? When we see this type of love growing in our hearts, it is evidence that we have been born again, that we've been born of God. Because I don't know about you, but I know, I know that I could never love like Jesus loved on my own strength, you know? I am way too selfish to do that. So when I see this type of agape love happening in my life, when I see that I'm responding differently to to somebody who everybody else can't stand, when I see that in my heart, I'm being moved with compassion and love towards them, it's not like, wow, Chris, you're such a great guy. No, what it is, is it's evidence that the spirit of God is in me. I've been born again, that he's changing me. John says that love is from God. It's from God and our love for one another is evidence that we've been born again. It's evidence that we truly know God. But in verse eight, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. God is love. So the second thing that John teaches us about love in this passage is that God is love. Now this is an amazing truth. And and it's really worth like just spending some time, maybe this week, just take some time to just meditate on this truth, the idea that God is love. Love not only comes from God, but God is love. It's not just a word to describe what God does, right? It's a description of who God is. He is love. And because he's love, everything that God does is love loving. Everything that God does is loving. So John says, listen, anyone who doesn't love others clearly, clearly does not know God because God is love. Think about it this way. If, 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 if we are Christians, right? We follow, uh, follow Jesus, then the Bible says that God's spirit lives in us, right? Right? That's what the Bible teaches. If you're a follower of Jesus, then God's spirit lives in you. And John says that God is love. So that means that love lives in the, the, the lives of, of his followers, right? Love is living in you. And John says that because, you, because love is, is living in you, you're gonna love one another. God's presence in our lives leads us to love others like he does. Do you believe that? Amen. Now I should point out here, I should point out here that God isn't just love. Because that's a very popular message, isn't it? Everybody loves to think about the fact that God is love. I told you that I couldn't wait to get to this section because oh, ah, oh, the love of God. We could sing about that all day long. But God isn't just love. The Bible also says that God is holy. The Bible also says that God is just. In, John, uh, in, in the first chapter of this book, John said that God is light, right? And that means that everything that God does is not only loving, it's not just loving, but it is also holy and just God is 100% loving and 100% holy and 100% just all the time. All the time and in everything that he does. Now, we have a tendency, right, to wanna emphasize one of God's attributes over another, don't we? For some, they like to focus on God's love and downplay his holiness and his justice, right? And that leads to what? It leads to license, right? Do whatever you want because God is love. He doesn't care about holiness and righteousness. He doesn't care about that because God is love, right? That's what we like to emphasize, right? But then there's others who, well, they like to emphasize God is holy and God is just and he can't wait to smote you, right? <laughs> <laughs> like he's got, he's got his big hammer there and he just can't wait for you to slip up so he can crack your skull, right? So they emphasize the the holiness and the justice of God and they neglect the love of God. You know what I love about Jesus? Jesus was full, the Bible says in John chapter one, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Not 50% grace, 50% truth. He was 100% gracious and 100% truthful all the time. Isn't that amazing? God is 100% loving. God is 100% holy and God is 100% just all the time and in every possible way. It is who he is. He can't not be loving because it's who he is. God is love. Well, in verse 9, John continues and he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So the third truth that John teaches us about love in this passage is that love is made visible. Love is made visible. John says that Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. Now, to manifest something, right, is to make it visible, to bring it out. You remember that from maybe earlier in this this series when I said, if I had something hiding behind this pulpit, it's hard to hide things behind this pulpit, (laughs) so. But if I could hide something behind this pulpit and then I pulled it out, I would be manifesting it. It was already there, but it's been made visible. Right? When I pull it out, it's made manifest. Well, God's love has always existed because God is love. But he says here that, that Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. God does not just say that he loves us. He made his love visible in a powerful way when he sent his son, Jesus. John 3.16 We sang it today. Love that new song. You guys like that new song? That was great. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that... No. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Or as John says here in in verse 9, that we might live through him. God's love for us was made visible in Jesus. And here's the thing. Our love for one another should be visible as well. Our love should be made visible. Here's a question for you. How is your love, how is your love for others being made manifest? How is your love for others being made manifest? Is your love for others Visible, Or is it just something that you say? Oh, of course I love him. Of course I love her. Of course I love them. True love for others is so much more than something we say or even something we think we feel. It's something we live out. Love is active. Love is active. Remember what John said in, in, in chapter three, verse 18? He said, little children... "...let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, because love is made visible." In the book of James, he says, if you, if you have the ability to meet someone's needs and you don't, and you say, hey, go, be warm, be well, be fed, and you do nothing about it, James is like, what good is that, right? Talk is cheap, right? Love is made visible. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I love that word, just because it's fun to say, you know, (laughs) propitiation. I think it's a word we should bring back, you know, like people would look at you like you have like five eyes or something like that. Pro, pro what? <laughs> Propitiation. God loves us so much that He sent His Son, right? But did He send His Son because did He send His Son because we loved Him so much? It's like, wow, Whew. they love me so much. I think I'm going to send my Son for them. I'm gonna gonna, gonna show them love back. That's what I'm gonna do. No, John says, it's not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. In verse 19, John's gonna say, we love because he first loved us. The fourth truth that we learn about love from this passage is that love is initiated by God. Our love for God is a response to his great love for us. Love is initiated by God. But let's talk about uh, propitiation for just a moment. What what does John mean when he says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins? This is actually the second time that we've seen this word in in this letter, 1 John. It was also in chapter two, verse two. And what it means is that when Jesus died on the cross, His death was sufficient to cover our sins once and for all. His death was enough. It was enough. His death was enough to pay the price for all the sins of mankind. You know, do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder if God loves you? I do. There are times, right, where you just like, I don't know if you're just listening to the voice of the enemy or or what it is, but we just... Sometimes we're like, man, I don't know, does God really love me? Sometimes when we're going through a really tough spot in our lives, it's easy to to question that. Does God really love me? Well, let this truth sink in. Really think about what this verse is saying. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place to pay the price for your sins. And his death, the propitiation that was accomplished through Jesus, covered all of your sins forever. God, God loves you, right? God's love for you is is so great that he sent Jesus to die for you. His love is amazing. In Romans 5.8, we read that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. And, he expects you to love one another. Verse 11, John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And by the way, that if there, if God so loved us, it's not a question. He means since, right? It's since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The fifth thing that we learn about love in this passage is that love is to be imitated by God's children. If God loves us enough to send Jesus to die in our place, John says, well, shouldn't we, you know, I don't know, shouldn't we love one another, right? I mean, if God loves me that much, shouldn't I love others? I thought about this verse a lot. And I was thinking about well, why don't I? Why, why is it that there are times when I just, I'm not, right? If I believe that God loves me that much, why are there times when I'm just, I'm not demonstrating that love to, to others? And I think this is, this is what I came up with. I think that one of the troubles that we have with loving one another is that we forget, we forget that God loves them just as much as he loves us. I think when we read a verse, God loves us so much, we are very quick to put ourselves in the us. <laughs> like, God, man, God loves us. And we forget that that us includes them, <laughs> right? Do you realize how much God loves the people that are around you right now? the person that's sitting next to you, the person that's sitting behind you, in front of you, do you realize how much God loves them? He sent his son to die for them too, right? The ones that you love and the ones that drive you crazy. Jesus looks at them and what does Jesus say? They're worth dying for. That person's worth dying for. And he wants us to see them that way as well. Brothers and sisters, when we see others, when we actually start to see others the way that God sees them, our hearts are changed towards them. The, 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 the frustration and the bitterness and the anger and, and all of those things, when we start to look at them and see them through the eyes of Jesus, all of that is replaced with compassion and love, right? God loves others and he expects his children to imitate that love by loving one another. Amen? If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I suppose that you could, if you wanted to be really picky with Johnny, say, well, technically, Moses kind of saw God, right? But even then, he didn't see them in his fullness, right? He didn't, see, he didn't see God in his fullness. He said, God actually says that in Exodus. He says, if any man were to see me in my fullness of my glory, they would die. They couldn't stand, they couldn't, they can't be present in his glory because we're in, in his presence right, right now because of the sin in our lives, right? We'd be consumed by his holiness. So God says, like, let me just kind of shield your eyes a little bit, Moses, I pass by. <laughs> That'll be enough, Right? John says, though, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He wants the reader to understand that when, when we love one another, it is proof of God's presence in our lives. You know, we may not be able to see God with our eyes, right? Like, we often say that, right? Like, oh man, if I could just see God. And God's like, you don't want that. <laughs> you, don't, you don't really not really want that. And we may not be able to see God like with our physical eyes, but when we see love being expressed through our lives, that is evidence for the existence of God that he is alive and he is living in us. This is amazing stuff. It's evidence of just how real God is when we see his love being poured out through our lives. I love what Pastor David Gutzik says. He says this, some people think that the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is is power. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is popularity. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is passionate feelings. But the greatest evidence of God's presence and work is love. Where God is present and working, there will be love. There will be love. It will always be present where God is ministering and working. Love will be present. John says, if we love one another, God abides in us. Look at this. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so here's the sixth thing that we learn about love in this passage. Love gives us assurance. Love gives us assurance. Assurance that God abides in us and that his love is Is perfected in us or being made perfect in us. His love is being made perfect in us. And because this is so important, right? Because the whole thing, John wants to provide assurance for these believers. John is now going to focus on these two things for the remaining verses in chapter four. So from verses 13 to 21, he's going to focus on these two things. God's abiding in us and his love being perfected in us. In verses 13 through 16, it's the focus on abiding, God's abiding presence. And in verses 17 through 21, his love being perfected in us. So first, in verses 13 through 16, he's gonna start with the assurance that God abides in us. So let's just read uh, through that. Um, But before we begin reading um, in verses 13 through 16, I want you to see that three times, three times in these four verses, John describes our, our relationship with God as God abiding in us and us abiding in him. So if you're somebody who marks your Bible, maybe you underline or you highlight, maybe you just wanna underline, uh, underline these. In verse 13, he says, we abide in him and he in us. In verse 15, he says, God abides in him and he in God. And then in verse 16, John says, whoever abides in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. What do you think the focus of these four verses is? God abiding in us and us abiding in him, right? This whole relationship of God abiding in us and us abiding in him is so important for us to have the assurance that John wants us to have that we are truly saved, And John's gonna tell the readers in these uh, four verses how we know that it's true, how we know that God abides in us and we abide in him. So for each of those three statements, he's gonna actually tell you how we know it. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, God's word says that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says, by this... We know that we, have a, we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus promised to send his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. In 1 Corinthians chapter three and chapter six, Paul says that we believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then Romans eight, uh, man, we could if we just read all of Romans eight, it's pretty powerful. But Paul writes at length about God's spirit in us, And in verse uh, 16 of chapter eight in Romans, he says this, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And you can't explain that to somebody who doesn't know Christ. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know, you're like, man, what is that? That's the spirit of God, his Holy Spirit in me, bearing witness with my spirit that I am his. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Verse 14 He says, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Listen, we know that God abides in us, and we abide in God because he's given us his Holy Spirit. But we also know because of our testimony about Jesus Christ. John says, make no mistake here. We have seen with our eyes and we testify that God sent his son Jesus to be our savior. That's what he says in this verse. John and the other apostles, they had, they had seen the miracles of Jesus, right? They had seen him heal people, raise people from the dead, feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish, right? They'd heard Jesus teach. They'd heard the things that he had taught them. They were witnesses to his death, his burial, and then Whoa, he came back to life. John was a witness to all this. He saw it. He says, listen, I'm telling you that God the Father sent his son Jesus to be our savior. I've seen it. I know it. And in verse 15, he then says, and whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, ready? God abides in him and he in God. And so we know that we abide in God And God abides in us if we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, John says we know that God abides in us and we abide in him. It reminds me of what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. Belief in Jesus is so important. It's the first part of God's commandment that we read in in, in chapter three, verse 23. Believe in Jesus and then love one another. So first, we know that uh, God abides in us and we abide in him if we have his Holy Spirit in us. Also because we confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Now verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We know that God loves us. We've seen it. We've experienced it. Because, he says, God is love. And whoever abides in love, what? Abides in God, and God abides in him. So, the third one. He says, we know that we abide in God, and God abides in us, if we do what? If we abide in love. If we follow God's spirit living in us, right, and we live our lives following his lead, loving God and loving one another, we are assured that we abide in him and he abides in us. We get assurance from this, right? And that's the whole point that John is trying to make. We have assurance that God abides in us and we abide in God because his spirit is in us, because we confess that Jesus is Lord, and because we abide in love, and now in verses 17 through 21, the last you know, few verses here uh, of, of this chapter, we see that love gives us assurance also that his love is perfected in us. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. You want some really good news? I mean, this is really great news. How about the fact that as Christ's followers, we can have confidence on the day of judgment? That's good news. The Bible says that one day everyone is going to stand before the judgment seat of God. You can read that in Romans 14 and uh, 14 verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 um, verse 10. And that, that can sound scary, right? I mean, I don't want to stand before an earthly judge, but the idea of standing before the God of the universe Whoa, because I know me, you know? But John says, if you're a child of God, says if you abide in his love, you don't have to fear that day. You can actually have confidence for the day of judgment. God, he says here in verse 16, that God's love is being perfected in us. Now, it doesn't mean we're already perfect, Right? We're not perfect yet, but we are being, the, the, the word that, that we use in, in theology is we're being sanctified, right? We're being made more and more like him. We are being perfected in his love. It means that we're being conformed, right, into his image, uh, into the image of, of his son, as Romans 8, 29 says, so that we can have confidence for the day of judgment. Listen, when we live in love like Jesus, we are filled with assurance of our salvation and we're filled with confidence about our future. We don't have to fear that day, do we? Verse 18, John continues and he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Brothers and sisters, as God's love is being made perfect in our lives, as as we walk in obedience to his Holy Spirit and we grow in his love, fear is removed. That's what he says. It is removed. We're God's children. We don't have to fear being punished when we stand before his judgment seat. Instead, we should have confidence, as he said in in verse 17, because God's perfect love casts out fear. Fear. And I know that sometimes like, we, we, we find ourselves, we start slipping into that though, right? Maybe we do. And we're like, oh, I don't know. I, I am starting to feel fearful about maybe that day when I have to stand before the Lord. And John says that just, you haven't been made perfect yet. It's not happened yet. And so it's time to go back and say, am I walking in his love? Am I abiding in his love? You know, go back to these verses and, and re-examine. Because we do not need to fear. If you are a child of God, you do not need to fear the day of judgment. You're not gonna march in there like, hey, look what I did, you know? (laughs) I'm not afraid, you know? It's not that type of arrogance, right? But it's just a confidence, like, he's my dad. He's my father. He loves me, and I love him. I've been walking in his love. I, I have a relationship with God. I know him, he knows me. And that gives you confidence to stand before him, doesn't it? It's amazing. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us that simple. Just in case anybody starts to have that type of like arrogance and pride developing like, yeah, I'm not afraid to stand before God. Let's just be clear about something here. You love because he first loved you. You don't get to take all the credit for this, you know? John reminds the reader that love is initiated by God. And the only reason we're able to love God and to love each other is because God loved us first. We love because he first loved us. Man, I'm so glad he did, you know? Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, I love it when, in the reading, um, I don't wanna say who, who the, reader, the reader is yet. I'll, I'll reveal that in the last week. But I love what he did is he said, if, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, and he, with emphasis, he said, he's a liar. <laughs> did you hear it? Did you catch that? I think he might've said, liar because he's got a little main accent going on. Apparently, the apostle John had a main accent. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John does not pull any punches here, right? Love for God and love for others cannot be separated. If God's spirit is in us, we will love one another. It's that simple. And John says that anyone who says, I love God and hates his brother, that person is A liar. And then he says, if you can't love the person who's in front of you, how in the world are you going to love someone you can't see? How are you going to do that? Love for others cannot be separated from the love, uh, love for God. If God's spirit is in us, we will love God, yes, but we will also love one another. Final verse, verse 21. And this commandment we have from him Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Sounds a whole lot like the great commandments, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. He gives them a little bonus here. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And according to John, look at what he says in in, in verse 21. We must do both. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is a great passage, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 13 gets all the mileage for being the love chapter, right? In fact, if you haven't read 1 Corinthians 13, go home and read it. But I'm telling you, I think 1 John chapter four gives 1 Corinthians 13 a little run for its money. This is a love chapter. So what do we learn? What does John teach us in these verses? Love is from God, right? It originates with God, that was verse seven. God is love and everything he does is love. Loving, that's verse 8. Love is made visible. It was made manifest in Jesus. That was verse 9. Love is initiated by God. We love because He first loved us. That was verse 10 and 19, right? Love is imitated by His children. Verse 11, because God loves us, we also ought to love one another. And in verse 12, love gives us assurance. Assurance that God abides in us and assurance that his love is being made perfect in us. Amen? It's good stuff. It's good stuff. So I guess the challenge then is to go and love one another. Amen? All right, well, as the worship team's coming up now, let's, uh, let's uh, have you join me in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for how much you love us. We recognize God that this is a this is an amazing type of love that you displayed when you sent your son Jesus to die in our place to pay the price for my sins to pay the price for our sins and and we recognize that that type of love is something that I just I am not able to muster up in my own strength. We recognize that that type of love comes from you. And God, we pray, we pray that as as we think about what you have spoken to us through your servant, John. God, we pray that we would truly be growing in our love. Yeah, of course, for you. But that we'd also be growing in our love for each other. Because according to your word, the two can't be separated. Oh God, thank you so much for the assurance that we have that your Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. That because we confess that your son Jesus is Lord, that that you abide in us. And as we abide in your love, you give us more assurance of your abiding presence in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.